that I've not had the privilege of, of meeting yet, and hopefully we can meet some of you afterwards when my wife and I, Carol Ann, Carol Ann, do you want to stand up for a second? Uh, my wife and I, Carol Ann, will be in the corridor. Uh, if you'd like to uh, come and introduce yourselves, that would be great. We always love meeting new people. And uh, we have some prayer cards there. If you'd like to sign up for our, our prayer letter by email, you can do that as well afterwards. And I'll just put a plug in for the, for the lunch afterwards if you want to come and ask us some questions or uh, get to know us a little bit better. Feel free to, uh, to come downstairs at 1230, I believe, for a lunch. I also just want to say hello to those who are watching by Zoom or live stream this morning. I know some of you aren't able to be here this morning, and so it's good to have you joining us uh, via the internet. My wife and I uh, came to Rosemount in the early 90s. We were uh, newly married. I'd well, been married about a year. We had just joined a mission called Operation Mobilization, which was starting a work in the city center of Montreal. And we were looking for a church. And um, the very first Sunday that we came into the church, we just felt so uh, welcomed by, by the people back then. And so we decided, without looking at any other churches, we decided, yes, this is a church where we want to be for as long as we can. And we were here till 1995. And then the Lord called us to serve with OM in Europe. And so we said goodbye to many of you in 1995, and, and we moved to the UK, and we were there for 22 years, and then God uh, directed us um, to France, where we have been now for the last uh, six years. And uh, for these past six years, we have been working alongside a pastor in a very small church. It's a church of 13 members. Well, it's 11 because two of the members are here this morning. Uh, uh, 13 members with perhaps up to 20 people on a Sunday. And it's the only evangelical church for a population of 90,000 people. So if you imagine uh, 90,000 people, one evangelical church of 20 people. That's the challenge that we are facing there in the north of France. What I'd like, what I'd like to do is just show you a, a PowerPoint uh, that shows you in, in, in visual a little bit of where we live and some of the things that, that we are involved with. So if uh, we can have that, please.
the one in the last photo. It's one of my favorite shirts. I see, Dave, you're wearing a Wrangler shirt as well, so well done to you. OM as a mission, it works in over 110 uh, countries around the world, and the desire is to see vibrant communities of Jesus followers within reach of everyone, especially the least reached. And France is one of the least reached countries in secular Europe with less than 1% evangelicals. I think the percentage is similar to, to here in Quebec as well. I believe you're probably uh, just under 1% as well. And this morning we're going to be looking at Acts uh, chapter 3 about a vibrant community of Jesus followers. So I'd invite you to turn to Acts chapter 3. And in Acts chapter 2, I wasn't here last Sunday when, um, when Louis talked about Acts chapter 2. But in Acts chapter 2, we see the birth of the original vibrant community of Jesus followers. The first community of Jesus followers. And in many ways, it's a model or a template for all future communities of Jesus followers. And I'm sure Louis touched on this last week, some of the, the things that the, this first community of Jesus followers uh, practiced. And in chapter 2, we see a special work of God uh, through the Holy Spirit. 3,000 people were saved in Peter's first sermon. And numbers were being added to every day. I can only imagine the sense of excitement and enthusiasm about what God had done to this new community of Jesus followers. A sense of excitement and enthusiasm. But I also believe that there must have been a sense of great expectation for the future. I wonder what thing God is going to do today. And then we look into the Holy Scriptures, into chapter 3. And I'm just going to read um, verses 1 to 6. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. Peter and John went to the temple one afternoon to take part in the 3 o'clock prayer service. As they approached the temple, a man lame from birth was being carried in. Each day he was put beside the temple gate, the one called the Beautiful Gate, so that he could beg from the people going into the temple. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for some money. Peter and John looked at him intently, and Peter said, look at us. The lame man looked at them eagerly, expecting a gift. But Peter said, I don't have any money for you, but I'll give you what I have. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. The context of this chapter is in the courtyard of the temple in Jerusalem. And there were a number of gates, a number of entries for people. And one of them was the beautiful gate. And according to uh, scholars, it was the door which led from the court of the Gentiles to the court of the women. 
And it was a massive structure covered with, with plates of uh, shiny brass. It was beautiful, and they called it the Beautiful Gate. And this is where the story takes place, in front of this huge brass gate. And we read uh, in chapter 2, I'm just going to reread chapter 2, verse 46. It says that the believers worship together at the temple each day. They also met in homes, but they went to the temple each day. And the temple was a gathering place for those religious people who wanted to hear from God. And as is their custom in chapter 3, verse 1, Peter and John went to the temple to take part in the 3 o'clock prayer service. It would have been full of people. And one of the things that we notice in these verses that I read was the presence of expectation from the crippled man and from Peter and John. This crippled man had set the bar very low for his expectations. His friends brought him to the gate and he was hoping to get enough money to buy some food. Not to pad his savings account, not to buy some new clothes. He was hoping to get enough money to buy some food. His expectation was to get enough to survive for one more day. That's pretty low expectation. But there he was, hoping someone will be generous and give him a couple of coins so that he can buy some food. And along come Peter and John going to pray. I wonder what they were going to pray about. The Bible doesn't tell us what they were going to pray about. But I, I wonder if they were going to ask God to do something. I wonder if they went to the temple saying, God, you showed up yesterday and people were saved. Who are you going to save today? God, what are you going to do today? How are you going to show up today? And Peter and John saw this man. And it could be that one of them wondered, God, you want this man to thrive rather than survive. Is that what you want to do through us today? Because they actually stopped in front of this man. And really, my first point is, is that Peter and John, as followers of Jesus, had a high level of expectancy in God's power through Christ. This lame man, when he was addressed by Peter and John, he looked at them. Peter, in verse 4, Peter and John looked at him intently, and Peter said, look at us, the man the lame man looked at them eagerly expecting a gift. This man expected to receive something from these two passers-by. He didn't know what he, what he was going to get. Was he going to get one 
coin? Was he going to get five coins? He had no idea. But he was hoping he would get something. But his faith was quickened by the words of Peter. Expectation is necessary for us if we desire to be used by God and for us to receive something from God. I believe we as Christians, and I'm including myself in this, we should all raise our level of expectation in what God can do. Peter and John knew what they had received. And they'd experienced something miraculous in chapter 2. They had been witnesses to miracles and 3,000 souls were saved in one meeting. They knew that when God showed up in his power, things happened. And they were expecting God to use them just as God had used Jesus. You see, they had been sent forth just as Jesus had been sent forth. In John 20, 21, we read, Then said Jesus to them, Peace be unto you, as my Father has sent me, even so I send you. They had received the Holy Spirit's power in the upper room, and they were now going out as Jesus had sent them, expecting God to show up and do something. What are your expectations of God today? Do you expect or anticipate that God will show up in his power on a regular basis? When you came to church this morning, were you expecting God to show up? I hope so. I hope so. But as the leaders of the vibrant community of Jesus followers, the expectations of of Peter and John were very, very high. As a global mission uh, serving in 110 countries, we want to take God at his promises that he will show up when we pray. And our monthly global prayer days that we have are filled with expectant prayers, asking God to show up. And we are seeing God show up. Some amazing things are happening in some of the hardest places in the world. In the Sahel region of Africa, which is predominantly Muslim, there's an incredible multiplication of communities of Jesus followers. Up to the fourth generation. So a a community of followers, maybe 10, 12, and then they multiply and multiply to the fourth generation. And God is just doing some amazing things in that part of Africa, mid-Africa. In our little French church, uh, we took a year to, to really focus on being a welcoming church, to make sure that we greeted people, that we, people that were visiting for the first time, that we would welcome them and show love to them. And that was very good. But I'm not sure if we expected to see anybody come through the door, new people. Um, And I say that not to our credit, but a bit to our shame that we weren't really expecting new people to show up because of the area that we live in and the hardness of people's hearts. But one day, one Sunday back in October, a family of five came through the doors unexpectedly. 
for the first time. They were hoping and looking for something. No, they were looking for someone to help them. There was a sense of desperation uh, in this family. And we welcomed them and uh, went through the service. And at the end, uh, several of us uh, approached this family and began to, to talk to them. And they were a family in desperate need of help with their relationships. The husband and wife had grown farther and farther apart. Uh, their, their daughter, 16 years old, was involved in the occult. And uh, they just had a lot of problems. And they, from the very first Sunday, they opened up their hearts to the pastor and to some of us, some of the struggles. The 16-year-old opened up her heart to uh, Carol Ann. But I'm glad that we had this preparation to be prepared to welcome people into the church. Because God wants to show up. God wants to do things. But we need to be prepared. We need to be praying, God, show up. Show up at RBC each and every Sunday. Do something. Touch somebody's life. Bring in new people. So Peter and John set the example to have high expectations as followers of Jesus, that he is going to show up in a wonderful way. So Peter and John had a high level of expectation. But Peter and John, secondly, as followers of Jesus, were used by God as a powerful instrument of healing. Verse 6, Peter says, I don't have any money for you, but I'll give you what I have. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Then Peter took the man by the right hand and helped him up. And as he did, the man's feet and ankles were healed and strengthened. When Peter first got the attention of this man, the first thing Peter said is, I'm sorry, I don't have any money for you. And I'm sure the man was a little bit deflated. Why are you wasting my time then? Get going so someone else can come and give me some money. But Peter believed that he had something better than money to offer this lame man. The lame man probably thought that silver and gold was his greatest need. But that wasn't his greatest need. His greatest need was to have an encounter with God. Peter and John understood that they could not give what they did not have. They had received God's power and were partakers in God's nature. And God used them as instruments of the healing power in the life of this man. This man needed much more than a few coins. He needed to have an experience with the powerful God. And it's interesting that Peter says, in the name of Jesus of Nazareth, get up and walk. The name of Jesus is powerful. The name of Jesus is powerful. We read in the following chapter, chapter 4 and verse 12. It says, there's no salvation 
There is salvation in no one else. There is no other name in all of heaven for people to call on to save them. And then we read uh, Philippians chapter 2. I'll just turn to that quickly. Philippians chapter 2, verse um, 9 and 10. Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. Because of this, God raised him up to the heights of heaven and gave him a name that is above every other name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So Peter and John saw themselves as instruments or tools in the hands of a powerful and healing God. And this man received the ability to walk. It's important that we see ourselves as instruments of healing for people. In uh, the situation with the Martin family, it's not the real name, but uh, with the Martin family, we were an instrument of God to help in that process of, of healing. And we needed to be sensitive to the Martin family. We needed to listen to the Martin family about their struggles uh, in their marriage with, with addictions and the struggle of Gabrielle with the occult and being bullied at school. And we had to listen. And during uh, the conversation, Gabrielle really connected with Caroline, and Caroline shared a bit of her story. Uh, struggling with some of the issues that Gabrielle was facing. And they really connected. And uh, Carol Ann uh, recommended a, a book from our little church library for Gabrielle. And uh, she took it. And she went home that night, read the book. It was a small book. Got down on her knees and gave her life to Christ. None of the family were Christians before they came into our church that particular Sunday. But God used Carol Ann as, a, as an instrument of starting a healing process in the life of this young 16-year-old girl named Gabrielle. And then Gabrielle convinced her parents to go to a church that was a little bit closer, another church that was a bit bigger than ours. And they went, and the entire family uh, gave their lives to the Lord the week after. The importance of understanding the healing power of, of Jesus Christ and how he uses us in that process of bringing healing to people. Not necessarily physically, as in Acts chapter 3, emotionally, spiritually, perhaps physically as well. There is a gift of healing that God uses as well. But this family needed, they didn't need money. They needed healing in their inner spirits and in their relationship. And Peter and John understood the power there is in the name of Jesus to bring healing into broken lives, into hurting lives. And then we see that this man was indeed healed. He jumped up. And in verse 8, we read, he jumped up, 
stood on his feet and began to walk. Then he was walking and leaping and praising God, and he went into the temple with them. I don't know if this man had ever been in the temple before. I don't know the traditions, whether someone who was infirmed or crippled or begging was even allowed to go into the temple. I should have maybe done a bit more research on that, but he leaped up, and he was walking and leaping and praising God. He was changed. He was a new man. Not only was he healed physically, but joy flooded out of his soul. I would have loved to have been there to see someone walking and jumping. and ah, I'm sure he was so excited. And I'm sure Peter and John were so excited. And there was great joy because someone had cared to reach out to him in the name of Jesus. His life had been completely transformed. But this event also transformed the lives of Peter and John. It was a confirmation that, yes, God is alive. God is working. And whenever we're used by God to help other people to get up, it brings us great joy. I hope it brings you great joy. And now this man could be integrated into the mainstream of life. He could go do his own shopping. He could go to the bathroom by himself. He could go for a walk. He had a full life now. And he knew someone cared. He knew that God cared for him. He knew that God cared for him enough to heal him from his physical uh, uh, illness. And he was so excited, he just could not contain himself. And as I said, the disciples were equally excited. I can imagine Peter and John returning back to the first community of Jesus followers and telling them what happened and everybody bursting into applause and, and giving thanks to God for another life that had been changed by the power of Jesus. Are you an excited Christian? Do you get excited when God does something? There's a book written by Sir Walter Mobley who says this, if one-tenth of what you believe is true, you should be ten times as excited as you are. If one-tenth of what the Bible says about who God is and who Jesus is, you should be ten times as excited as you are. There's no place for grumpy, unexcited Christians. God's word is true. His promises are true. He didn't and he doesn't leave us powerless. We, and I'm, as a church, should rejoice that we have someone who will never leave us. And we heard that this morning. Uh, that Jesus is our mediator. He's there. He's our advocate. He's always with us, interceding for us. And this kind of joy should, should burst out from us because of 
Because we know who we are and to whom we belong. Back to the Martins family. Uh, they became saved and there was such a, a hunger uh, for God in their lives. And they, they came back to church and, and you could just see that their lives had been changed. They had a smile on their face. They gave us hugs. They began to share testimonies of what God had been doing in their lives, how they had, both of the husband and wife had been addicted to um, uh, relationships on the telephone with other people that are not their spouse. And they were involved in things that were not honoring to God, and they, they rejected all of those kinds of things. In fact, the husband, he got rid of his cell phone. And he wanted to focus on the relationship with his wife. And it was just great to see the fruits of what God was doing in the lives of this family. And they were testimonies of joy. They were just bubbling with uh, excitement and enthusiasm for what had happened to them in the last couple of weeks. Testimonies of joy. And I personally love to hear testimonies that are full of joy and thanksgiving. I meet people and they say, you know what happened, Brent? And, and something happened and praise God, you know, and just get really excited about uh, what God has done. But I want to see more of that. I want to see more testimonies of joy. And Peter and John, moving on as followers of Jesus, demonstrated the power of God through signs and wonders. You see, this miracle happened to this man. But everyone else saw what was happening. Let me read verse 9 and 10 and 11. All the people, that's all the people going into the temple at 3 o'clock in the afternoon when prayers were about to happen, all the people saw him walking and heard him praising God. When they realized he was the lame beggar he had, they had seen so often at the beautiful gate, they were absolutely astounded. They all rushed out to Solomon's colonnade where he was holding tightly to Peter and John. Everyone stood there in awe of the wonderful thing that had happened. The miracle had happened to an individual, but the impact of that touched many, many people. There was an immediate twofold effect. The people were convinced that this was a sign from God and that this miracle was done in the name of Jesus. They heard Peter say the name of Jesus and this man started to walk. And so the people that were there, they were surprised, they were amazed, they were, I don't know if you know the word, gobsmacked. They, they, they just were stunned by what they had just seen. And this miracle gave credibility to the ministry of Jesus and to his disciples. When people are convinced that God is at work, they will listen. And Peter preached for the rest of the evening. 
and no one dare leave. They all stayed. God was working in their hearts through the, the healing of this one lame man. People still need to experience the presence of God even today. When people experience God's presence, they will be filled with awe. And they will attach themselves to God's people, to God's church, and embrace God's message. Back to the Martin family. God was doing a wonderful work in their lives. And they went home to family and friends who knew them before. And the testimony of the children and the testimony of the husband and the wife was uh, amazing to their neighbors and extended family. The wife's aunt is with the Timon Jehovah. And she was very, very upset and she wanted them to return to Temuan Jehovah, or Jehovah's Witnesses. Sorry, I was speaking French. Jehovah's Witnesses. And they were witnessing to their neighbors and telling what God had done. And, and the neighbors could see something has happened to you. They could not believe the transformation that had happened in front of their eyes in just a short period of time. And as they witnessed and as, as they told what had happened, they, they were having amazing opportunities to bear witness of Jesus. And that's the last uh, subject I want to talk about is being a witness for God. Peter and John were faithful witnesses. And as this man was saved, as he went in to the temple with Peter and John, as there was an audience, uh, a large group of people there wondering what had happened. It says in verse 12, Peter saw the opportunity and addressed the crowd. He seized the moment. Carpe diem, seized the moment, seized the day. And we're not going to look at, at this sermon in detail, but Peter preached a very bold message of repentance. And he used the history of the Jewish people in his sermon. And they listened. They listened. Just want to note a couple of things in, in Peter's um, sermon to the religious, religious audience who was listening. Verse 16. Peter gave credit where credit was due. The name of Jesus has healed this man. And you know how lame he was before. Faith in Jesus' name has caused this healing before your very eyes. Peter, as he preached, gave credit where credit was due. It's all about Jesus. It's all about his name. It's all about his healing power. It's not about me. It's about Jesus. And then he says, uh, 
in verse, I'll read from verse 17. Friends, I realize that what you did to Jesus was done in ignorance, and the same can be said of your leaders. But God was fulfilling what all the prophets had declared about the Messiah beforehand, that he must suffer all these things. Now turn from your sins and turn to God so you can be cleansed of your sins. Then wonderful times of refreshment will come from the presence of the Lord and he will send Jesus, your Messiah, to you again. The promise of refreshing presence of God. It says the, prom- the wonderful times of, refre- of refreshment will come. It's a promise of God. If you turn from your sin, there will be a refreshing that will come into your heart from God. Repentance was an important message for Peter in the book of Acts. But so was the promise of what will happen if you repent. There will be refreshing, there will be forgiveness, there will be pardon, there will be all kinds of things that will happen. The name of Jesus, the power of the name of Jesus, and the promise of refreshing from God. And in verse 15, Peter says this, You killed, talking to the Jews, you killed the author of life, but God raised him to life, and we are witnesses of this fact. We are witnesses. Peter and John modeled for us a pattern for witnessing. Not the only pattern, but a pattern of witnessing. The first thing to do is open your eyes. See, God is working. God is Doing something. Do you see it? You cannot be a credible witness if you have your eyes closed. If you are called to appear before a judge as a witness, and they say, well, what did you see? Well, I didn't see anything. My eyes were closed. You are not a credible witness. So to be a witness for God, we need to first of all open our eyes to see what is God doing. Be alert. Look around. Can you see God working in the life of someone? Can you see God answering a prayer? What do you see God doing? Because if our eyes are closed, we cannot be a witness to what God is doing. And then we need to bear witness of what God has done. People will see things, but they won't understand. Many of the friends of the Martin family, they did not and still do not understand what happened. It's a mystery to them. But their eyes have been open, and now the Martin family and those of us that are around them can speak into that. And we can explain what God did. 
A witness simply explains what they saw. A judge is not interested in what a witness thinks. What did you see? And as we explain what we witnessed, that gives us the opportunity to share Jesus with people. To say, I saw with my own eyes God doing this. Would you like to know more? Can I tell you about Jesus who did this miracle? It's not complicated to be a witness for Jesus. It's not complicated to be a witness to our neighbors, to our friends, to those we go to school with or who we work with. But as we observe God working, we can then take the opportunity to explain to people what happened and how God is working. And that opens up a multitude of opportunities to share. Peter wrote uh, in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, Always be ready to give an answer to every man who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with gentleness and courtesy. Be ready. And as you go home today, be ready to be a witness for God. Keep your eyes open. When you see God do something, talk about it with the people. Be a witness for what God is doing. And I know that God will do great things in you. So may we all have expectant hearts, expecting God to show up. When we come to church, expecting God to show up when you go to the office tomorrow morning. And maybe he'll surprise you with an opportunity to have an amazing conversation with someone about the gospel. But be ready. Be expectant. God, what are you going to do today? First thing when you get out of bed in the morning, say, God, I want you to do something today. I don't know what it's going to be, but do something. May we all have that sense of expectancy in our hearts and be prepared to be a witness as Peter and John were uh, in Acts chapter 3. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that these amazing stories are recorded in Scripture for us to read and to uh, ponder and meditate upon. And thank you for the example of uh, Peter and John and their willingness to, uh, to uh, reach out and to serve you. And thank you, Father, for this model of the first community of Jesus followers. And Lord, may the church at RBC be this same community of Jesus followers that has a level of expectancy uh, in this community. And Father, as individuals, help us all to have a higher level of expectancy in what you, what you want to do 